Okay. Uh, we are on the very last part. Uh, we are on the post-communion uh, part of the service. We got through last time the distribution and with this last part, similar to our service itself, once the distribution is done, it's not long and we're up and out of there. Um, why? Well, you've already gotten to that which is most important. And so as the uh, communion goes uh, with the distribution, it is the end, it is the completion, it is the giving of the gifts and the receiving of it. And then we depart, we leave. There's a canticle, there's a prayer, there are words of blessing and uh, leaving uh, that goes with it. So, won't take us that long as it doesn't in the service, but we do have two uh, scripture passages that we have to take a look at uh, a bit more in depth. So, after the distribution uh, happens, there is a canticle. It's called the Nook Dimittis. Uh, you dismiss. Now you dismiss, or Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the faith before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel, uh, followed by the Gloria uh, Patri. Uh, that is there, the glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. Okay, uh, this particular canticle, unlike a lot of the other parts of the divine service where we can say, hey, this is simply uh, used for, for centuries, uh, the Nuctimittis was used for centuries, but it was used in a service called Compline. It was used in the last service of the day, even after Vespers, um, you know, Compline was, was to be done quite late at, at night. And uh, obviously this kind of departing in peace, probably a connection with uh, being deaf as a metaphor, uh, or going to sleep, laying down your head as a metaphor for death, and so it was often used there. Uh, Luther didn't, wasn't even the one that uh, proposed this, but it, it began to be used. There were other, there may have been a psalm, a post-communion psalm that was sung, or there might have been a canticle. This one ended up sticking from the Reformation on, and pretty well is universally used. Let's take a look at it. If you want to, first of all, uh, you've got a new yellow sheet, and it does have the nook dimittis, but let's go to Luke 1, as we have it in our hymnal, or pew Bible, the red Bible. Go to page 1012. Luke chapter 1 begins with Luke saying, I talked to some people, and what I'm giving you, I've drawn up this account. I talked to the eyewitnesses. Luke's account is mainly that of Mary, and so we have a lot of things that only Mary would have known. It begins with the birth of John the Baptist, or the announcement of his birth. Uh, birth first, and then uh, Zachariah doesn't believe it, and he is to be silent until uh, the child is born. With verse 26 of chapter 1, we have the announcement of Jesus to Mary, and so the angel Gabriel comes and announces uh, that the uh, child, uh, that, that she is the chosen one, she is the one who is going to, and with her words, uh, Mary conceives by the Holy Spirit. Mary goes and visits Elizabeth, beginning at verse 39. And when she gets there, you can see beginning at verse 46, And Mary said, My soul uh, glorifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Uh, the the old, older 
wording says, my Lord, my soul magnifies the Lord. We have the word magnificat. This is the first canticle that is uh, used. It also is an evening canticle of sorts. And so here it is, the uh, singing, if you will. Uh, even by its poetry, you can tell that it was uh, a intended to be a, a sung or chanted uh, song. John the Baptist is born while uh, Mary is there. Zechariah then uh, writes on a tablet that his name is to be John. Verse 67, we have Zechariah filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. This canticle is called the Benedictus. Blessed be God. And so Zechariah now, just as it is said of Mary uh, that the Holy Spirit will come upon her, now we have with Zechariah that he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And we have another uh, canticle. Both of these canticles, I, 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 we don't have time to get into it, but both of these uh, sound uh, Old Testament-ish, and yet by their references to Jesus and that they bridge the gap and they become a New Testament uh, song, if you will, letting us know that John is going to be the one that's going to prepare the way and then the child will come uh, and uh, whose way has been prepared and uh, speaks of the salvation. Chapter 2. The birth of Jesus uh, happens. They go to Bethlehem. No room in the inn. The shepherds and the angels. You get to verse 14. The glory and excelsis. The big uh, song that, that begins our, uh, that's in the service of the word. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to man on whom his favor rests. Uh, this is the song of the angels. We pick that up and so we sing with them. There's a little reference to that, as we saw before, in the Sanctus, uh, so that with angels and archangels, with all the company of heaven, we join together in, in, in praising. Beginning with verse 21, eighth day, Jesus is circumcised. Verse 22, 40th day, uh, he is taken to the temple. Mary is to go there on the 40th day after birth that she might be purified. Jesus is to go there that he might be presented. And it speaks about that presentation in verses 22 through 24 and gives the references for that. And then with verse 25, it introduces a new character. It introduces Simeon. You want to go to your yellow sheet? <coughs> after the King James one, which is the canticle is, is built upon, uh, we have verse 25 through 38 of Luke 2. Let's read. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, and then with verse 29 through 32 we have the canticle itself, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother. Now we have a second uh, thing that, that that is said. This one has more of a of a narrative rather than a poetic. Uh, it's not really a canticle itself. Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. 
So there's the second message that, that Simeon, uh, the <coughs> priest in the temple, uh, speaks of. And then the following, now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to God and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. All right, let's take a look at this uh, and see then why we use it in our uh, liturgy, our communion liturgy, right after the reception of uh, the body and blood of, of Christ in Lord's Supper. Beginning with verse 24, uh, we learn uh, the man is called Simeon, He's described as not only just, that's another word for declared righteous, he's a believer, he's forgiven, uh, he's a saint, just like you and I are, but it also describes him as devout, that is, he was devoted to the word of God, he was devoted to his uh, occupation as well as uh, to the practices of the, of the faith. It describes him as waiting. If you go through the New Testament, you will note that at several times uh, certain people are described, and if it is the faithful ones, uh, there were so many that, that, that were not, but uh, it describes the faithful ones, there is always, there's always there's this expectation or the waiting. Why would the... Uh, why would the believers be described in that way in the New Testament? Yes? The Christ. And why would they be waiting for him? Because that's what the scriptures tell them all about. <laughs> in other words, if you've read the Old Testament, if you've heard, the old Old Testament is letting us know there's going to be a Savior. When we see the others, they are quite content. I'm content with my power, I'm content with my riches, I'm content with my position. Um, we don't we don't need anything else. But the true believers know that this is not the end. They're waiting for and it describes him as the Lord's Christ. That's quite unusual. Uh, the word Christ was uh, uh, at least at the time with the Romans a, a political word. And granted it wasn't supposed to be, but it, it had the idea of revolt. But uh, Luke, as he is talking about this, describes it in that term. And they're not so different from us, are they? <laughs> that is true. That is true. What are they waiting for? Uh, there needs to be a consolation. They're waiting for the Christ, but what's he going to do? He is going to give them consolation. They, believers, were concerned about our sins. And here is going to come the one who is going to forgive our sins. Verse 25 through 27. How many times does it mention the Holy Spirit in connection with Simeon? Twice so far. Three times. In two verses, three times it lets you know that the Holy Spirit is uh, running this show and is uh, producing what, what Simeon has to, uh, uh, to know. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him, in addition to the, the word and, and all, but I guess he had gotten a, a special revelation that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Um. Is Simeon as old as Michael Baker? That's what we want to know. No one is. He could even be as old as Haroon. (laughs) Or Tony. Happy birthday, Michael. Thank you. (laughs) Michael's 37. No, what did you say? Uh, How old is Simeon? He's old, but we don't know how old. 
What lets you know that he's old? He's ready to die. Uh-huh. Yeah. Does it say that? Well, I could see that. He, he says he wouldn't die until he's seen the Lord's Christ. So he's seen the Christ. Now he's now I can die. Yeah. But, then, but, but then, do you have to be old to say that? We kind of assume that. We kind of look at this and say, he yeah, thinks was it that Anna was there for so Wait a minute, Tony, what? Was it because Anna was there for so long? You know, we've got the next gal, and she is 84, and it tells, yeah, and we kind of assume, and pretty well, all of Chris, I mean, nobody really denies Simeon was an aged elderly man. But you doesn't say how old he was. It just says that, you know, now I can die in peace. Does it mean that he's at that point? You know, well, it kind of implies that it, it just doesn't exactly say. I just, just, just noting. He was living on his own and he walked to the temple, whereas Anna at 84 was living in the temple. Okay. So. Okay. Is Simeon a pastor? It doesn't say. But oftentimes when it refers to someone as being in the spirit, that's a priest or a pastor. Right, and and same kind of thing, yeah. Where where we kind of go, well, we assume that that's what I mean. All those words kind of normally go together with that. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm not trying to deny it. I'm just looking at it and kind of going. Um, that, you know, we assume that uh, he is. Uh, if you are told that you're not going to die until you see this, it's it's you know. Um, usually, it's when you're older you're thinking, I'm, I you know, I might die. He didn't care. He'd seen the Lord's Christ on. He could die any time. He didn't die. <laughs> no matter how old he was. Exactly. Um, all right. The same way. Yes. Aren't we the same way? And we should. We should. Exactly. Um, and we take up these words so that we too might profess that we are one with the one who is speaking this way. Uh, the Spirit brings him in. Uh, at the very time that the parents have the child Jesus, uh, they are doing what has been said in, in the verses prior to this, uh, and he takes him up in his arms, and this first thing is he blesses God with, with every, uh, just like Zechariah, in all of these things, usually the first thing that is said in response to God's giving out his gifts, doing something, is uh, he thanked God and said, he blessed God, blessed be the Lord God who has done this. There is always this. And so most of our prayers, uh, I know mine, most of my prayers begin thanking God uh, for what he's done. Luther does that at the beginning of the morning and evening prayer. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, and then goes on. So there is this thanking, this blessing of God, and then these words. Lord, direct address. It is not just a song. It is a canticle, a song, directly talking to God. It's a prayer. Lord, now you're letting your servant, describes himself as a servant, usually, you know, probably a, a, a pastor of sorts, and yet uh, um, uh, all of us, become uh, those who are in service to our Lord, and it describes us that you can depart in peace, or uh, it all depends on how you translate it, maybe dismiss me in peace, set me free, sometimes when we talk about forgiving of sins, uh, the word forgive has a, a, a setting of, of setting free, and it says uh, you can, uh, you're now Allowing me, you are now dismissing me in peace. And it says, according to your word. Simeon has, from the word of God, knows that when the Christ has come, uh, that then the fulfillment of all things has has been completed. And so, and and again, we mentioned last time, I had several people uh, uh, text me or, or let me know, this reference, I had no idea, Pastor, so many times the divine service refers to peace. And so here, once again, peace seems to be, and we're going to get to it once again when we get to the 
benediction, it is the end. It is final. I mean, it is, you've reached your journey when you get to peace. The peace is the thing. Granted, we we have the forgiveness, we have that, and, and then the realization of it is always fulfilled, it's always completed with peace. The consolation of Israel, that would be the peace that God, that Christ brings us. Yes. It consoles, the connection with with the consolation, usually this would be in connection with the word hope. You know, I've got a hope of that which is going to console, console me. Then that brings peace. Well, in verse 29, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. I'm not sure why that's capitalized. Um, they actually had... I was trying to say yeah, some I, space. I, I understand but that. That's a poetic thing. It is a poetic thing. But the fact thing. of the matter is, in English, that forces us to make that another sentence, and it's not. Right. right. Because it's according to the word of God that he is departing in peace. Because that's how God spoke to him. Right. Right. This first phrase, how does that fit in with after the communion, after the reception of Lord's Supper? Perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) We we in this, our, our Lord is present. And now we speak directly, you might say, to him who is present for us, even as he always is and hears our prayers, but... We now have received the consolation. We've received the forgiveness of sins in his body and blood. We too say, yeah, I, I can I can die. Well, you excuse us from the table by saying depart in peace. <laughs> I put that together with it. You are right. Also, that's that sneaky Greek present tense again. It is. It is not... an action verb. It goes on. The Lord is continually letting us depart in peace. So in Greek, they make a distinction. Uh, in Greek, you can say uh, a, a verb, and it can be a snapshot action. It happens at a point in time, and it's done. Or you can say it so that it has an ongoing effect. If it's simply aorist action, depart in peace, it's saying, do it, and then get out of here. But if it is present action, it says, you are departing. This is your, the condition that you're in. You're continually, you might say, being dismissed in peace. You're living in that. Um, the Greek can distinguish between those two. Uh, you are letting your servant. You're doing this continually. This is our, until finally we reach, you would say, the, the peace which the Lord has provided. He's doing that according to his word. And... This directs us right back to, this is word. The word has taught it. Uh, And so, this is the Old Testament's teach, and now it comes. I think that according to your word, which poetically, again, it's not a new sentence, uh, but it does go after this, but it comes before, for my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes. Hmm. What's the what's the deal with eyes? Simeon picks up the child, grabs it out of you know, you might probably Mary's arms, and, and holding the child, uh, gets to literally with his eyes. Now my eyes have seen. He's 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 seen all. Uh, the promise had been given, and they believed it by faith. But now, here is the one who finally declares, by sight, I got to see it. It reminds me of the passage in Job, where it says, you know, when, when I'm about that, my eyes, my eyes will see you, you know, in, 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 in heaven. Yes. It's kind of the same thing. Uh, right, with my own eyes I will see him, and not with another. And yeah. so uh, uh, there is, once again, words of fulfillment, 
it, it not, not by faith, but now by sight. Yes, the promise to live The Garden of Eden had something to do with eyes. Any reference? God looked out over the garden. Mm-hmm. Tony! The fruit that was pleasing to the eyes. Yeah. Yes, the fruit that was pleasing to the eyes of it. And God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. Your eyes will be open. Oh! Um, uh, now, he's a liar, so you can't take anything that he says. Okay. Uh, um, but... The point being is that to have open eyes is revelation. To have open eyes is to be able to know. When this is declared, that now we begin to say, aha, my eyes now get to see, I, it's been revealed to me, it's been explained to me. Uh, this is not the only time that we have this. Uh, we have it in... At the end of Luke's Gospel, where the Emmaus disciples go with him, uh, after Jesus has risen from the dead, and they, their eyes are open, they recognize him in the breaking of the Lord's Supper. What's going on? And so here, to put this in connection with this, we also have it in Luke two or Luke ten, I believe it is where Jesus talks about how he's going to open the eyes. This is not the only place uh, that we have on your yellow sheet. Uh, the Lord, uh, Isaiah 52, the Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. He gets, he, they will get to see it. Uh, we'll get to the nations in just a little bit. The Lord has made known his salvation, Psalm 98, verse 2, his righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations. Oh, this is the uh, Isaiah 42. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, a light to the Gentiles. So this salvation is seen in Jesus. Apart from Jesus, there are, there are no open eyes. There is no revelation. But in Jesus... The consolation, everything comes to a fulfillment, and uh, Jesus uh, is declared as the one who is is there. Well, this is for our comfort too. This is the, another eyewitness account. This is all true. Right, right, exactly, exactly. And and so now we've got uh, a threefold spirit upon him. We've got the third person that gives a canticle who gets to see the the glory uh, that comes. Mary? The glory of your people Israel, and they still don't accept it. This Wouldn't you think that they would want God's glory? Uh, you might remember when we talked about it last time, going back, a life during Revelation to Genesis, and the glory of your people Israel, the glory and the peace were already mentioned with the angels coming, or the shepherds, angels coming to the shepherds, we said that the glory is when God is shown for who he is and what he is doing in this incarnation, that's a word for in the flesh, Jesus appearing as a human baby, aha, this is now uh, where the glory, you know, they ought to be rejoicing in the consolation who comes in Jesus, that is God's glory. That's not what they want. So they don't. Well, it's interesting because in the book of Exodus, God reveals his glory to the people of Israel from, from the Red Sea all the way into the Promised Land. And what did they do with it? They rejected. it. Now, there were people who believed, but, but, the, but the, the leaders of the people basically rejected God. And so he's telling them then that in the future, 
this is there is going to be a real revelation and that's what we're talking about here God comes in the flesh and he does something that's never happened before he dies and rises again never happened before or since and so when when the eyes of faith which God gives us looks upon this situation that there's nowhere to go other than say that you are letting your servant depart in peace because my eyes have seen your salvation that's a passive verb we didn't look and say hey this is a wonderful thing God gave us that vision he gave Simeon that vision <coughs> in the Old Testament he gave the people of Israel that believed in him that vision the rest of the people will not accept that gift and accept there is also a passive verb because we don't have anything to do with that and if we want to get finished with that we got to go on now <laughs> there's a you know that's a cute little uh, thing you guys do a little right you know where you like you go up and have a little bread and wine and you, you kind of all do that together. That's kind of cute, you know. But if your eyes are opened to what is going on, you know, you talk about receiving forgiveness. You talk about, that's what I'm going to, you know, I'm going to on, so what are you doing, son? Well, we're you know, we preaching, we received the Lord's Supper. They're going to, what? The forgiveness? Yes. His own body and blood. When that has been revealed to us, then, when your eyes have been opened, you realize that this is the greatest gift that God has given. You know, all this talk about, oh, it's, it's a sacrifice where, you, where you're, I'm going to go make my sacrifice. I'm going to go work and give it to God. No, no. I've, I, I've just realized this is a gift. And, and that's what I have come uh, to, to receive. Last part, as Pastor Rince said, we've got to keep going. But, but I've got the people of Israel and i got the Gentiles. There are always two people... We, been so long we don't maybe don't recognize anymore uh, in the Christian church because it's all been one. But there are Jews and there are non-Jews. There are the people of Israel and there are the Gentiles. What does Simeon at the very beginning, again, we what does he understand? He understands that the coming of Jesus in the human flesh is the Christ. He can die in peace and he also knows that this thing, which is the greatest thing ever for the people of Israel, is to what? <laughs> what does light mean? Revelation for the Gentiles as well as the Jews. Open their eyes. The ability see. to see. It's not just. It's to get it out, you know, this idea that, well, yeah, yeah where, where are the Jews and everybody else is something else. And you know. No, no, no. God gave it to you for a purpose that it might go out. This morning, we're going to have, and, and it fits together, we've been going through our, our Gesema season. We're on the third uh, uh, one. We have got the called out into the vineyard. We've got the seeds, the various seeds that are sown. And now we have a, a blind man who gets his sight. So we're going to have the sight imagery. We've got that. But Paul, we pull Paul out. We pull him out of 1 Corinthians. We have this faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Why? Now, faith saves. Absolutely. Faith in Christ. And hope is that which we know that we will receive because we have faith. Love shares. But what? Love shares. But love shares. <laughs> but love is good for my neighbor. In other words, God doesn't want to save you just, he wants to save you. But, but then love, whatever I do is for <coughs> others. So you can have the gift that God has given, but if you're not... Loving your neighbor, it's doing them no good. And where there is faith, there is always going to be love. 
Uh, that's what happens when your heart is changed. So Simeon already understands that this glory for the people is so that they might preach it and they might reveal it and that all nations might come to be saved. We go back to like our study of Genesis. Abraham knew this. All of them knew that. And yet there's this kind of closedness uh, to it. Okay, so that gets us to his we too, having finished, received Lord's Supper. Then we're going to go on to our prayer. What's the prayer going to be? It's going to be twofold. Faith towards God and love toward one another. Love towards our neighbor. Um, In other words, we have already begun with this canticle right after Lord's Supper to go, okay, I got forgiveness of sins. Now how can I love my neighbor? How can I show forth what I have been given uh, in love towards my neighbor. How can I, I speak of this salvation which I have received uh, to those? Joseph and uh, Mary marvel at these things. Simeon talks about the second sign. The first sign was Jesus being as a, a baby lying in a manger for the shepherds. The second sign that the Gospel of Luke speaks about is a sword piercing Mary's soul. And it talks about how there is going to be uh, usually we speak about the, the rise and fall. This is the fall and rising. Uh, the law brings us down and the gospel brings us up. Tony Prosca. Yeah, talk about the comfort that we get. And here's an example of it that touches me. Mary, of all people, should know, and Joseph was right next to her, but they still marvel at it. And there's the places in the Bible where she says she kept all these things in her heart. Isn't that a comfort? It is. In John's Gospel, marvel has a different purpose. Usually it's people that don't believe, whatever. But not in Luke's Gospel. In Luke's Gospel, the marveling, I'm going to say, is the same thing which you do when you come to service. It's not that you don't know it. You, you know, you don't come to church and kind of go, oh, you mean Jesus was born in a baby? It's a baby in a man. Yeah, it, no, you know that. But you, you keep taking in the word, and, and even as you tell me from time, Pastor, I didn't know that. I just, wow, I just connected. Whoa, look what's going on. I mean, you marvel in the God who loves you so much. So, yes, we have that. Uh, the last part, I included Anna uh, simply because she is the response. If Simeon is the pastor preaching out the word, Anna is the congregation that is receiving the word. And what does she do? She comes in, she hears his word at that very instant, and she gives thanks to God and speaks to others and those who are looking for redemption. Expectation again, both of them. One preaches, one hears. Uh, they both they both give thanks. So that's what we have with the uh, Nook Dimittis. I can tell you that when I go and give communion to shut-ins, uh, I often don't have the opportunity to have a, a vestments and a, uh, an altar and, and even a hymnal. Uh, and, you know, eyes get old and different things of that sort. But most of the time, again, it varies with what people can do and what they're willing to do and if they like singing and, and, and all. But most of the time, after receiving communion, I'll simply from memory start singing the Nook Dimittis. Um, I usually, even though you know we've, we've had the blue hymnal for a bit, I'll usually go back and sing it in the old hymnal because most of the people there that I'm communing, that's what is back in the recesses of their memory. And I can tell you that 99 times out of 100, they will sing that entire canticle with me. Other parts of the liturgy, we have, but, but that one is so near and dear. People love it. Uh, and, and so uh, that, that's, that's used. Okay, with uh, the Nook Dimittis uh, being completed, uh, there are uh, a versicle, usually before a prayer, uh, there is uh, a versicle, O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endureth forever. A familiar, I mean, it's, it's in probably 25 different places or, or something of that. You can see the giving of thanks uh, after the reception of his gifts, knowing that God is, is providing for us 
and in his mercy. There is the post-communion prayer, which also begins, We give thanks unto thee, Almighty God, that thou hast refreshed us through this salutary gift. Uh, This word salutary doesn't just mean like saluting or hi. It is uh, not that, but it is from the Latin salus, uh, which means saving. This is a saving gift. We give thanks to you. You've refreshed us with a saving gift, the gift of Christ's body and blood. And so we're going to ask you, pray you, beseech thee, fervently pray you, that of thy mercy you would strengthen us through the same. We have come to believe, of course, but we know that we have enemies against us. We know that we're not yet in heaven. We still have the devil, the world. We have our own simple nature to deal with. So we ask God to strengthen us uh, through that gift. I'm going to say many of us will return to our pew after having received Lord's Supper and we'll have a prayer asking God to help us uh, because we've received this gift with things we have coming up in the week in ways that we have are, are struggling with. In faith, strengthen us with these gifts. Two ways. In faith, towards thee, it would strengthen us uh, towards God in a, a vertical way, and that way is faith. And then in fervent love towards one another, uh, it is shown forth uh, towards, towards <coughs> others, through Jesus Christ, thy dear Son. Uh, those are the, the two. Luther modified this. He didn't make it up himself. But uh, uh, he, he did, by his editing, redacting, brings together, and um, this too is one that has, that has stuck. There may be a post-communion hymn, uh, but after that there is uh, something called the Benedicamus and then the Benediction. Benedicamus, uh, the we bless... Uh, there is the we bless or we bless. Bless we the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before this final uh, benedictus and benediction, blessing the Lord and the, and the threefold ironic benediction, we have the salutation and the response again. I think I told you earlier there are three times that this occurs. Uh, this is the third time this blessing as with the service of the word, the prayers, the reading, and the sermon, as with the celebration of Lord's Supper, this is considered another of the sacramental ways. That is, a a way in which the Lord has sent someone to do something special. If there's no uh, pastor, this is all left off. You just, you you end with, uh, without it. Uh, even in the order of matins and things of that sort. So, uh, and with thy spirit, you've been given this to bless us. All right, pastor, go ahead and do it. We have uh, in ours, let us bless the Lord. This is bless we the Lord. There is a thanks uh, being to God. And then comes the benediction itself. This is referred to as the Aaronic benediction. On your yellow sheet, the Benedictus, referred to as the Aaronic Benediction. Uh, Normally it ends with a triple amen, and the benediction itself has three parts with two elements in each part. Aaron, as we have in Numbers chapter 6, is told, uh, the priests are told, when you're done with this sacrificial service, when you're done with these Old Testament sacrifices, you are to give the benediction. Aha! So, does that mean that that that, that our service is this sacrifice that we give to God and then this comes? No, the Old Testament sacrifices do what? Point to Jesus Christ. And now that Jesus has given his death, the night he was betrayed, and he wishes to give us his body and blood, that's come to fulfillment. And so now in Christ, 
That is all fulfilled with the Lord's Supper. And so, number six, we read, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You can see one, two, three, and yet each one has that, 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 that. There's, there's two parts go with each one of those. And so they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. This wasn't, this also is something that came about at about the time of the Reformation. There was another blessing that was used, or, or they were simply dismissed uh, with Itamisa Est, which means you can all leave, it's over, um, from which we get the word Mass, um, Itamisa or Mass. Uh, but to have a benediction and to use this particular one uh, is, is, is quite significant. And. Uh, Three parts. It's got to make you... Um, now, for literary ways, I can say it once, I can, I can say it a second time, but, but three is always complete, even in literary kind of things. I don't think that the Trinity... Uh, was made up after the literary. It's that the Trinity is always complete. And so it makes sense for us that where there is a threefold, you're all done. Everything is fine. And so we always speak, oh, so God bless you. And in body, soul, and spirit, oh, we got three. Um, there, there is always that. When we get to the completion of this triple amen, Threefold, of course we're going to think of the completion, the benefit, and the Trinity itself through whom we receive all of the, the blessings. The Lord bless you. God, uh, this, this is not a wish. This is not a uh, hope you have a good day. I don't know if you will, you may not. Hope, 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 hope everything's good. No, no, no. This is God saying, uh, through this, you can be assured that everything that has happened in what God is giving out now is going to the Lord bless you. That's what has just happened. It's a description. And so we know that. How do I know that God bless? Well, because of what's going on. And God says at the end, tell them that they've got a blessing. Next... What is the keep and keep you? Uh, preserve you. Right. Mm -hmm. So you've got the blessing. It's yours. Now, we also know we've got, as I mentioned before, the devil, the world, our sinful nature. We've got that which is going against us. And the Lord will use these very means that he has done to keep you in that blessing. You need not worry. Um... You know, nothing can take you away from God. God has provided. I don't want to walk away from him, but let me assure you that the Lord who blesses you is now going to preserve. He's going to be your defense. He's going to be your protector. Two, the Lord make his face shine upon you. What is this? Your face shine upon you. Uh, Moses' face shone when he talked to God and this shining face looks at us with love. Gives us light. He is the light of the world. Right. right. Yes. Most of the time we especially Old Testament God's face looking at you is not good. So, what makes it good now? Okay, so in the Old Testament, there was particularly, you can't see my face. I mean, you, you can't see God. We still don't see that. He's pleased with us because he sees Christ when he looks at us. There you go. In very simple ways, 
I'm going to say is when you you are greeted by someone smiling, and that is welcoming to you. Ah, you know, oh, you're here, and their face shines, you know, shines upon you. It lights up. It is a welcoming. God it does not frown upon us. Um, but more than that, I think it also comes to this understanding that in Christ, the veil is taken away that Moses had. We now, um, uh, at the end, right now, God, Paul talks about this, God sees us the way we are now. We get to see in a glass darkly, meaning we get to see God through the word, but that's as much as we get to see. On the, at the end, then we will see him as he is. And so his face begins to shine upon us with smiling. You are my child. You are my son. You are forgiven. And so And the next thing is, in this shining upon us, there is a graciousness, a grace. He gives us what we don't deserve. He supplies uh, that for us. The next one, 26. The Lord lift up his countenance. This, this is also a reference to his face once again. Uh, lift up his countenance upon you. And, and there is, they give you peace, the, the fulfillment of it. Uh, the, uh, the welcoming you into his presence uh, so that so that you receive all that he has done. What are we to know? We are to know that when the priests did what they were said to do, and when they had given this blessing, God declares that the name has been placed upon them. And thus, uh, their future is one of blessing. The name being placed upon someone. That even happens when we're not actually paying very good attention. <laughs> yes. Uh, the, the bulletin this morning uh, is taken from the book of Revelation. It has all of the people of God lined up, and God is placing his name upon their foreheads. That's John understanding this. Well, probably a lot of you have heard this story from Montelevania. This is what got me to the Lutheran Church. When I was 25 years old, I went through a struggle with my faith. I went through deep depression. I thought I was losing my faith. I still went to church. Not, not a Lutheran church. I still went to church. I mean, I forced myself to go to church every Sunday because I thought, you know, you know I can't give up my church. I mean, and it was a struggle. Because I would sit there and everything that it seemed like that he was preaching about was just hitting me. You know, I was just this terrible sinner. I mean, there were times that I sat in church and I wanted to get up and I wanted to run out the door. I mean, this, this is literally. I would sometimes, I would I, at home, I would just have to get outside and start walking because I would get into this panic. I mean, I really thought I was losing my faith. Well, I had an aunt that belonged to the Missouri Senior Church in Wakanda. And I had occasionally gone with her, but none, none of it ever struck me. I mean, you know, it was it was like, you know, when you walk into a liturgical church from another church, you're kind of lost, you know, for a while. And so anyway, I don't remember now why I decided to go in that middle of the church that day. But, and of course, I didn't take communion because I wasn't a member of the church yet. But anyway, I sat there, and when the pastor got up at the very last, and he stood up, and did that benediction. It was like Christ Himself was standing there talking to me. Yes, it was. And you cannot believe the peace that came over me. That was the first time in probably a year and a half that I had sat in church and did not want to get up and run out. And that's what, and eventually, you know, I just started going back to the church and. My mother, bless her heart, she was a she was raised in the Methodist church. She had a son that was a Methodist minister. But my mother said to me one day, Shirley, you need to join the Lutheran church because that is where you're at. And Good for her. And that's where I... So anyway, that... I will never forget that Sunday that I stood there and heard that. 
Isaiah 59 talks about him hiding his face. Here we have his face being lifted up, greeting us uh, with that. And so that, uh, Luke 24, Jesus at his ascension, having risen from the dead, having spent 40 days appearing and teaching his disciples, he led them out as far as Bethany and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. That is, as he is ascending up. Most of the churches behind the altar, there is an ascension. And as we have with our uh, Christ, he has got his hands up. He is blessing us. It is reminiscent of this. Uh, when you hear this, he lifted up his hands and blessed them, uh, just as they are to uh, lift up their hands and, and, and bless. You, you kind of go with, look, and what did they say? I mean, what did Jesus say when he lifted up? What, what was his words of blessing? Well, it doesn't say. But, but going back, I'm, I'm just assuming that, that this he is... He always did the law. <laughs> so those are all the connections uh, that, that we have with our divine service as well as with, uh, as we see, with, with the architecture and the piece. Are Mary? Gonna, are you going to tell us more about 59-2? Nope. You want me to? Yes, because after all this wonderful stuff it ends with, he hides his face. Uh, right. Where your iniquities, where your forgiveness, where you don't have forgiveness, your sins separate you. There's a separation. And because of that, the law is that your sins have him hide his face and he does not hear your prayers. This is the exact opposite. This is the gospel in which, with your sins forgiven, you are not separated. The Lord blesses you. He goes with you. He's your protector. Um, And this is the one who gives you a smiling, shining face, not the angry face. Uh, This is the one who will hear your prayers and give you peace. So, yeah, this is kind of the opposite blessing that follows it. Well, fifty nine two was written to the Israelites when when the when the whole nation of Israel had rejected God and started to what worship other gods. That that's the reason for for five eighty seven B C because they refused to change their ways, and so God destroyed Israel, destroyed Jerusalem, took away the temple, took himself away from the Israelites. Now, that doesn't mean there were no believers there. I'm going to conclude with some words from Luther. I tried to find out where they were. This uh, particular author says Luther said this. Uh, I couldn't find out where he said it, but uh, so I'm just going to reproduce it. Uh, Luther refers, as we're talking about this Aaronic benediction, the three parts, Luther refers to the first blessing to bodily life and good. The blessing, he says, desired for the people that God would give them prosperity and every good and also guard and preserve them. This is carried out still further in a manner corresponding to his exposition of the first article. That would be of the creed, where he gives us uh, heaven and earth and all the bodily things. The second blessing, Luther says, refers to the spiritual nature and the soul and observes just as the sun when it rises and diffuses its rich glory and soft light over all the world, merely lifts up its face upon all the world. So when God gives his word, he causes his face to shine clearly and joyously upon all minds and makes them joyful and light, and as it were, new hearts and new men. For it brings forgiveness of sins and shows God as a gracious and merciful Father who pities and sympathizes with our grief and sorrow. And the third of that ironic benediction also relates to the spiritual nature of the soul and is a desire for consolation and a final victory over the cross, death, the devil, and all the gates of hell together 
with the world and the evil desires of the flesh. The desire of this blessing is that the Lord God will lift up the light of his word upon us and so keep it over us that it may shine in our hearts with strength enough to overcome all the opposition of the devil, death, and sin, and all adversity, terror, or despair. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have provided for us your word, uh, which teaches of that consolation, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, We give you thanks for the forgiveness of sins which you give to us through the word and the sacrament, and we ask that we might always uh, rejoice to receive them uh, with thanksgiving and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.